grade can make your way out to Children's Church. We're thankful for those that work with them and serve with them. Thankful for those that work in the nursery and many, many other ministries around here. Um, Let me just give one more um, announcement for something that's going on immediately following our time in this uh, worship time, and that is during our ABF hour, we will have all the adult classes joined together in here. We're going to be just doing some sharpening um, of our skills. We talk on a regular basis about sharing the gospel, sharing Jesus Christ, and I think there are a couple things that we oftentimes need to be reminded of, and um, we're going to have some formal training uh, during the ABF hour. So if you can stay Uh, We will be talking this week and next week about an encouragement of how to share your testimony. We all have, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a story that got you to that place. And that is probably, maybe the best tool that you have to encourage someone else to come to Christ or to visit church, or at, least, or at least open the conversation. So I'd like to invite everybody to stay here and um, be a part of that teaching time. We'll have uh, multiple folks that are talking, one person doing the bulk of the teaching with some formal training, but we are glad for that this Sunday and next Sunday. And I want to say thank you to the ABF teachers for giving up a couple weeks of their time. I know that they have um, oftentimes something, a, a plan they're trying to get through, and so this means a lot, but I think it's extremely important for us as a church family to be equipped to be able to share our faith with others, and that is the goal of this week and next week in the ABF hour. So please do stay for that. Would you bow with me one more time in prayer? Heavenly Father, we ask you to be clearly working in our midst as I know that there are a multitude of thoughts that would be invading the minds of the listeners to the message today. There are a number of uh, worries that could jump in. There are things that they have to get done that perhaps their mind will want to um, dwell on that. Would you please allow this to be a time that is as free from distraction as possible when we can open your word be encouraged by it, love you more for it, and be brighter lights in this world for our time as we study. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. It's likely that you have had an opportunity to have a conversation with someone, and you heard a person use a word that you knew that word, but very soon into that conversation, you realized they're using that word in a different way then you use that word. I do not think that word means what you think it means, one movie line says with the word inconceivable. It is common that we will have conversation and maybe we have a wrong definition. Maybe the other person has a wrong definition, but there is no doubt that the same word can have different meanings to different people. Let me just use one illustration that is a word that has um, a vast variety of meaning in at least two different audiences. Let's just use the small three-letter word nap, okay? The word nap. If you use the word nap to a toddler, oftentimes that is going to evoke a response. And in case you haven't been around a toddler in a while and said, do you want to take a nap? Let me just remind you of what it goes like sometimes. Sometimes it means a, um, a nice polite disagreement. 
Sometimes it might mean a kicking and screaming disagreement because a lot of times kids hate to take naps. Don't make me go and lay down. That would be the worst thing that could possibly happen. If you ask a child, would you like to take a nap most of the time? The vast majority of the time, the answer is no. Please don't make me take a nap. That's the idea. Now, if we can fast forward just a little bit into life. And let's say, I wasn't sure how to word this. I don't know if we're talking about older adults or more mature adults or people my age or a little bit older. I'm not sure how to say this. But get the idea. When we use the word nap with some people, like myself, and maybe even you, you hear something very, very different, don't you? You don't hear something that makes you resist and coil up. I would suggest that for some of you, if you're thinking about your day and doing this at this time and doing it this at this time and possibly there's a nap involved at some point in the future, for some of you, that puts a warm feeling inside of you. I understand that. You just feel good about that. There's no doubt that different words can mean different things to different individuals. The majority of Christians in America have never seen the church of Jesus Christ as Jesus Christ sees her. When we think of God's church, when we think of um, what we join together for today, or, however, or whatever thoughts come into your mind when you think of church, it's fair to say that the majority of Christians in America have never seen the church as Christ sees her. Let me give you some statistics. And, of course, these stats are going to use some generalities. So you're going to take even that word Christian, and you're going to wonder how that's being defined. But just for sake of making my point, let me uh, use these statistics here. 76% of Americans claim to be Christian. 76%. I'm not sure what qualifies that, but um, there, of, of this survey that was taken, 76% claim to be Christian. Now, let's go ahead and take a round number for the population. The population of the United States is over 300,000. Um, it's about 25,000 more than that. But we're going to use that round number of 300,000 just to make things a little bit easier. And if 76% of Christians in America um, claim, they claim to be Christians, and we have 300 million um, uh, people in this country, let me give this next number, 225 million claim to be Christians, but they do not ever attend a worship service. So we have 225 million people. That's the total number. I'm sorry, let, let me go over that again. Are you ready? We have a population of 300 million 225 million claim to be Christians, all right? Are you, are you wrapping your, number around, your head around this? 225 million people claim to be Christians. And yet, on any given weekend, there are about 52 million people that gather together for a church service. So we have this number that say, I'm a Christian, and we have this much, much smaller number who do not join together with a local church. So let me ask the question. Where are the other 173 million people who claim to be Christians? Now, I want to suggest to us today that there are many that would claim to be Christians, but they um, are going to define that in a specific way. What might be some reasons why some would not be in a church? I'm going to be talking this week and next week and um, 
two more times after that about the church before we go into the full-fledged Christmas season. I'm going to talk about the church and what might be some reasons why some folks would not go to a church, be part of a church. Of that 225 million who claim to be Christians, there's 173 million that are not in church. What might be some reasons? Well, one reason might be that they might just have a loose connection with the church. Maybe they attended church at a young age. Maybe they were involved in a vacation Bible school. Maybe they were part of a baby dedication or even got baptized as a child. They would say that they believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross, but they do not have any genuine living power of Jesus Christ in their life. So some might have a loose connection. Next, and I could preach more than a, more than a sermon on this one here, some have just been burned. There are some individuals who have seen sin from others in the church. And that has been enough to drive them away from being part of a church, a local church. When I give this point, there are some of you who might skip past that quickly. I I do not skip past it quickly. I understand very much so that what I'm going to ask you, what I'm going to ask you to consider today is extremely hard for some of you. I'm going to suggest with some of my insider information, there are some people listening over the radio right now that are listening on the radio because they do not want to be in a building of a local church anymore, and yet they still want to have some kind of a connection. That might be their church. Now, not everybody's listening for that reason. Some cannot physically make it, are not able to be here because of work, but there are some who will listen in on WMPC because they have had an experience in the past that makes them not want to go in there. And some people can take it once. If you're burned by another Christian sinning one time, you can take that. But if you get burned twice, we know the old expression, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And so people will oftentimes give up hope on the church. They've been burned. Maybe a scandal that took place. Maybe they were offended. These are some that have determined they would never go near a church again. And I have talked to people who have said, my husband will never go into a church again because of, and they've been burned. There are some who would say, I just haven't found a church that feels like home. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about this. We're going to talk about the different characteristics of you in a local church, in a church family. They just don't get anything out of it because it's not what it used to be. I talk to somebody on a regular basis who refers to his experience more than a decade ago about church. And he's not all that excited about church today because it's not what it used to be. I just don't get the same thing out of it like I used to. And so just to set this up, I want to suggest to us that it is not hard for us to find reasons to abandon the church. One more additional one, and maybe someone will pop into your mind when I say this. Honestly, there are many who live with an instinctive distrust for anything that is an institution. Don't raise your heads and don't nod, or your hands and don't nod your heads, but maybe you know somebody like this. If it's like an official institution, they don't want any part of it. In fact, they might be friends with you until you get too involved in that institution. And then maybe you aren't getting what they're trying to um, sell. 
Some people just have a distrust for anything that is an institution. All this said, we need to be reminded of the importance of the church. We need to be reminded of the bride of Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you a takeaway today. The first half of the takeaway, I think everybody here will be able to say amen to that, no problem. And with the second half, I want to go ahead and suggest this is hard. This is hard for some of you. This is my heart, I will say. I will let you know that I probably do not have a subject that I enjoy talking about more than the church. So I'm kind of in my, in my glory here for the next few weeks as we talk about the church of Jesus Christ. Here's the first part of the takeaway. I want you to understand that your life is defined by the truth that you belong to the body of Christ. And all God's people said, amen to that. Nothing can take me out of the Father's hand. I belong to the body of Jesus Christ. I've been saved. I'm redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And we need to continually sing about this and celebrate this. And so maybe I should have talked longer about that. I get a few more amens. With the second half, though, and if you're taking notes, write down the specific verbiage of this. Further, I want you to know that throughout your life, I want you to have a practice throughout your life of growing in your affection for a local group of believers. I think this is biblical. I think this is God's plan for his church and God's plan for everyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ, that you are constantly growing in your life for, in your affection for a local group of believers. And I'm not a mind reader, but I know what some of you are thinking. You haven't seen the believers that I've seen in a local assembly. Can I tell you something? Yes, I have. I've seen the worst of some people come out. Can I tell you something else? There is some bad stuff that very likely might come out from some in this local assembly in the next year. And that in no way gives us the right, the opportunity, or a, an excuse to not be part of what God has called us to be and that is part of a local group of believers. The verbiage there is growing in your affection for a local group of believers. This is an investment that you are making in others. It costs you something. This might mean making yourself vulnerable. This means letting others possibly serve you. Some people today simply live with the idea that the word church is plural for Christian, and that is not the case. Let me give you just a few more pictures. These are some wonderful word pictures, and actually it's a pastor out of Kansas, Pastor Tom Nelson, um, put these down, and I found them very, very helpful because they're so memorable. Here's how some people would view the church. Um, false representations, one person called them. False representations of the church. There are many Christians who view the church as a gas station, as a gas station. That's not a hard picture for us to understand. You kind of pull in and you fill your spiritual tank. Maybe we get a good sermon and then we're good to go. And that's the dominating definition of a church. Another one, some people view the church as a movie theater where we get entertained an hour of escape possibly. You leave your worries at the door and you go in and you just can tune everything out, but then you have to go back in, out in the real world and it only helped you for a short time while you were there, a movie theater. The next picture that he writes is a drugstore. 
a place to fill your prescription to deal with your pain. And there are some ministries that churches will have that will get specific, maybe in an area where you need some help. I like the last one here, and that's a big box retailer. Some people view the church as a big box retailer. The church is a place that offers the best products in a safe and clean environment. That's what a lot of people want. Maybe you know somebody. They're looking for this. They're looking for a great service at low prices, and that's what they want. What do you have as far as programs? What do you have for my kids? Now, these word pictures are helpful And I will not say that they are completely detrimental because there are some things that we can take from those and use them maybe to invite someone to come to our church. Or maybe you have been blessed and encouraged um, in one specific aspect there. There is one author that calls those false pictures. And I think that's a little bit too strong because I can't separate the church completely from the effects that some of those have. But there is something, and here's where you need to have your radar up. There is something in each one of those pictures of a drugstore and a movie theater, of a big box retailer, of a gas station. There's something in each one of those that has something in common that should give us pause. And that is this. Every one of those pictures is all about me. Those pictures of a church that some people allow to dominate their thinking, it's all about me. Basic consumerism. That's the idea for a lot of people when they think of a church. And I don't know about you, but I really don't have any particular loyalty to a gas station. I used to, but when they stopped doing my get one free card for every uh, six Diet Cokes that I buy, I moved gas stations. I don't have a particular devotion to a big box retailer. Some of you like this one over here. Some of you like this one over here. I don't have a devotion to a drugstore. I don't have devotion to a movie theater. But I want to suggest to us this morning that we should have a loyalty to a specific local church that God has prepared for us to be an active part of our lives. All right, all that to take us to our text. If you would take your Bible and turn to Matthew 16, If you're not already there, turn to Matthew chapter 16. Oftentimes, people are looking for what is God's will? What does God want me to do? And I think that a great place for us to look when we want to define what a church is, is going to be what Jesus Christ said the church was. What did Jesus mean when he spoke about the church. There are only two occasions that we have recorded for us in the life of Jesus Christ, in the Gospels, where he used the word church. Don't you think that's a great place for us to start as we venture out talking about the church? What did Jesus say about the church? Well, Matthew chapter 16, I want to start reading in verse number 13 and go down through 18. This is the first time he uses that word. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There it is for the first time. The first time Jesus Christ uses the word church, he is referring to all believers in every time, in every place. Peter tells Jesus, you are the God, the Son. He tells, and and Jesus tells Peter, this wasn't that you just figured this out, but God the Father revealed this to you. And it's upon this foundation that Jesus Christ is actually God in the flesh. It's on this reality that the church will be built. And Jesus Christ is very clear here in calling it one. I will build my church, he says. And so Christ is not speaking of a local church like Calvary. Calvary is one of many. Jesus Christ is not speaking of a particular denomination. You can travel the world. There have been denominations that have been started and have been successful, and they are none today. They're completely off of the map. So Jesus Christ is not talking about a specific local church or denomination. He's talking about all believers in every age and every place. And this reminds us that there is one church, and Jesus Christ, he is the one who is building his church. Believers from every background, every nation, every time period. This is oftentimes called the universal church. Now, when we look at the times the word church is used throughout the New Testament, this one is used far more in the minority than the other one we'll talk about in just a moment. The foundation of the church is Christ Jesus, and it will be forever. And this is the church that he's talking about when he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Think about it. You can't say that about a local church. Some church somewhere, and Jesus Christ was talking about that church in particular. He is talking about this bigger picture of the church, the universal church. Jesus is saying, I will gather believers from every age and every place, and the gates of hell will not prevail over the people of God. Let me say one more word of commentary on this one, and then we'll go to the second time Christ talks about the church. You do not belong to Christ because you belong to a church. You belong to the church because you belong to Jesus Christ. We could go into a lot of detail about the end times when Christ, as our judge, separates the wheat from the tares. There will be a time that very possibly some, even sitting in our midst, We'll stand before God. And right now, we think we're all one. And there will come a time where they are separated because God knows the heart. You do not belong to Christ by belonging to the church. You belong to the church by belonging to Jesus Christ. Let's look at the second time that Christ mentions the church. Turn just two pages over to Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. And this is the second time that Christ mentions the church. I'm going to start reading in verse number 15. some very practical advice that we practice still today. 
Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So here we have the second time of this topic of a church that Jesus Christ talks about it. Here Jesus is referring to believers who have assembled together. They've assembled together for the purpose of worship, instruction, fellowship, and they are dispersed for the purpose of expression of God's love. Some background on this, what Jesus is saying here is if there's two people in the church and they have a dispute and, there's, and, and it involves sin, so one has sinned, you're to go to that one who has sinned and confront him with his sin and hopefully he will repent of his sin. He'll confess it to God and you've gained your brother. He's restored. If he does not repent of that sin, you go to him with one or two people with you so it can be established and if he still does not repent of his sin... You take it to the church. This Matthew 18 is the best example of how we have to deal with problems in our church today. When there is a sin that, or when there's a confrontation that involves a sin, most of them don't. Most of them are just an opinion, a preference. But sometimes there is a sin. Someone sinned against me. I can choose to let love cover that sin or else if it's going to eat me up, I can go to them and ask them to repent, and hopefully they'll respond with humility. Jesus gives instruction here, and if a person does not repent after those first two steps, you take it to the church. This is the second time Jesus uses the word church. Tell this problem to the church. And obviously, this cannot mean the church universal. We could not tell this to every believer in every place at every time. It's impossible to do that. So here are the two times that we have a foundation for the word church. Number one, the body of all believers in every place, every time. And number two, a local congregation of believers who are called out to worship and then sent out to serve. The foundation of this goes all the way back to Exodus. The word church is ecclesia, called out ones. And I won't take long to go over it, but I will test your, um, your knowledge of the book of Exodus or maybe of old Bible movies, that might be more appealing to some of you. When we see Moses and we see the children of Israel in captivity, Moses approaches Pharaoh and he says the famous words, let my people what? Go. Let my people go. Most of us are familiar with that statement, but does anybody recall the reason that Moses gave Pharaoh for why they wanted to go out into the wilderness? Oh, the wheels are turning. I see some lips moving. It's unusual. When you read through it, you're thinking, couldn't a Moses had said something better than that? Is that a good reason? Some of you know the answer. The reason why the children of Israel were, were called to come out and be separate, to go out into the wilderness. They were called to go out and to do what? To worship. A people called apart to worship and that's where we get the root of that word and that's what we are doing today joining together to worship an assembly or a congregation 
And brother and sister in Christ, you need to have private worship in your life. You must if you're going to mature as a Christian. And brother and sister, you need to have corporate worship in your life. You need to have a church family, a local congregation that you are of. This message is getting harder and harder. Are you ready for this? That you need to submit yourself to. Myself included. We are called to submit ourselves to a congregation, to the government of a church leadership, whatever form that government might be. No one is excluded from this, but we hate that word, submit, and the cost sometimes. And I know who I'm talking to. Let me just, I know we're about out of time, but let me just get real. I know there are some of you out there that have been at the point where you said, perhaps I'm just done with church. Not everybody. But I know there are some that are hearing this message today where you've said, That's it. That's the final straw. To the point where you're saying, can it really be done in a God-honoring way? Is it possible? I've talked to some people even in the past six months, and they said, we think we're going to have to drive an hour to find a church that we would even go to. I've tried to encourage them. I said, there's a church closer to you than that. There's good churches in a lot of places. That's God's plan. And I know for some of you, this is a hard thing when we go back to that takeaway for you to have a growing affection for a local church family. But I want to challenge you to that. I want to challenge you with this idea that this is what God uses for you. Very quickly, what can we do with this? What can you do? And then I'll close. I want to challenge you today to love the church family that God has made available to you. For some, you say, piece of cake. I love you. I love you. I love you. Not sure about you. (laughs) For some of you, you're like, don't ask me to do that. Don't you know how much I have been burned? Don't you know how much I've been hurt? How can we do this? How can we love the church family that God has made available to you? Well, number one, or why should we? Number one, why should we love the church? Because the church is central to how God is going to accomplish his plan. And we can debate this. I know there are good organizations that are para-church organizations. Para-church means alongside the church. And there is nothing that will replace the church. No matter if it's your favorite organization, one that's having an incredible impact, one that's seeing souls come to Christ or missionaries go out or um, children receive gifts in the name of Jesus Christ, there is no para-church organization that will replace the church. And it should not for you either. This is, the church is central to how God is going to accomplish his plan. He can work in any, any way he want, wants. Jesus Christ called Saul of Tarsus apart from a church, but that was the exception. And brothers and sisters, do not lose confidence so much in a church that you're looking to be the exception. That he grows you outside of a church and accomplishes his plan outside of a church. Don't do that. Another reason why, love the church because it has a glorious destiny. You and I should love the church because it has a glorious destiny. And so that means we look forward to heaven, to fellowship with God in a perfect state. And what it means is we have in common is the journey. So you and I are on the journey, getting there. 
And we're constantly reminding one another, don't lose hope. Hold on. Do right. Obey God. Come back. We're on the journey together to this glorious destiny. And the world who does not know Jesus Christ cannot encourage you like someone in the pew next to you can. We have a glorious destiny and we're on this journey together. And then finally, love the church because Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. Love the church because Christ gave the church and gave, him, and gave himself for it. Now in closing, let me just share this illustration. You need to be very, very careful about how you talk about someone who is loved. Very, very careful with that. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, coach a rec team uh, basketball group. My son was playing on the team, and I enjoy basketball. And uh, so we were part, we had a team that year, and I was the coach. And I enjoyed that for the first part of the year. Our team was about in the middle. We weren't great. We weren't the worst. We were about in the middle. But I can remember at one point sitting at a game, and we were getting beat, and it was going bad. And there were parents sitting in the stands, and one parent was observing this, and they called out, what is wrong with our team? And a dad sitting next to them said, it's our coach. That's what's wrong with the team, just like that. Now, I did not hear this, but I'll tell you who did hear it. My wife heard it, who was sitting close to this gentleman. And even better than that, my daughter, who was observing, heard this. What is wrong with our team? Why are we losing out there? And one guy says, the problem is our coach. To which he received a very specific glare from my daughter at that point. A looking over with an understanding that he was talking about her dad, and that was a look of disapproval. And I will say also that later on in the game, as we were doing better, and maybe we were winning in the game, there was a little bit of a, another look that came over to that gentleman. Here's the point. You better be very, very careful about how you talk about the church of Jesus Christ. Because can I suggest to you that if you are one who is down-talking, trash-talking, if you are one that has nothing positive to say about the church and only negative to the point where you are making others decide to not be part of the church, you might find yourself very, very embarrassed when you stand before God someday and you realize just how much God loves his church. How much Jesus Christ loved his church and loves his church. You be very, very careful when you talk about someone who is loved. When I said earlier the church might be my favorite topic, it might be. I rarely react. I usually take things in, think about it for a week, and then I come up with a perfect response. I rarely react. But in this topic of the church, sometimes I'll react. When someone says, oh no, I'll never go into a church ever again. <gasps> it's almost like a chigger bite with me. You know, I gotta, I gotta respond to that. I've gotta say something about it. And you know what? I'm right. I don't brag too much about that. 
And it's not that I'm right, it's that God's word is right. Having said that, can I just tell you that my heart goes out to you? <laughs> I know this is, there are a hundred stories that we could listen to about this. Let me share one with you. I sat in the hall of a church on a weekday and I talked with a member of the church. And this member had had certain individuals in that church that had acted in such an ungodly way. And I will not go into the details, but I will say that if I were to go into the details, you would think there's no way in the world that's how a church conducted themselves. There's no way that individuals, men that would call themselves the leaders of a church, did that. Something that would go on to give her son nightmares. He had to sleep of the flo- on the floor of, their pa- of the parents' bedroom because he had nightmares because of the actions of these men in the church. And when I tell you that I am right about the church of God, I am right. But let me just tell you that I sat there across from that woman and I had to tell her, I want you to know that what you experienced has absolutely nothing to do with the church of Jesus Christ. If you've experienced someone that's acted in a way that has nothing to do with the church of Jesus Christ, let me, on behalf of the beautiful and spotless church of Christ, ask for your forgiveness on their behalf. Let me encourage you, do not lose faith in this plan that God has for today. Did you write down the takeaway? The second part of it? That you are continually growing in your love for the church. This is hard. This takes sacrifice. As we will talk about next week, this means we're going to knock off some rough edges And it's not just you knocking off other people's rough edges. It's them knocking off your rough edges. This is what God is building. And this is beautiful. And I hope that you are thankful today that you can be part of what he has for you. Let's pray. Precious Lord, we come to you with an understanding that you our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you went through everything that we could go through in this world. And there are some here that would talk about pain and hurt. God, I thank you that Jesus Christ can empathize with everything that we've been through. I thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that will never leave us, will always be with your children. And I thank you for your love. And Heavenly Father, I praise you for the price that you paid for the church, the church universal and the church local. I thank you for that. I thank you that I benefit incredibly from that. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, just before we sing a closing song, I wanted to give you opportunity to pray. I don't know what's on your heart. I know for some of you, there might have been some hard words for you to swallow. I would ask you to to continue to dwell on them, to pray on them. Maybe you're here today, you have never made the decision to follow Jesus Christ with your life, to repent of your sins. Ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You can do that even during this time. The work on the cross is what made the church and heaven possible. And even during this time, I'm gonna ask Anna just to play through just a little bit of a song. I'm gonna give you a chance to pray. If you wanna pray to ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you can do that right now. Maybe you wanna pray for the church. 
for yourself. Just take just a short time to pray.